Let's read our passage this morning. Second Peter two, one through three. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will also be false teachers among you who will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. Many will follow their sensuality, and because of them, the way of the truth, real Christians and real Christianity, will be maligned or held in contempt. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their judgment from long ago is not idle. God's not asleep at the switch. And their destruction is not asleep. Most of us, no doubt, have heard the children's story about the three pigs and the big bad wolf who huffed and puffed and blew two of their houses down. Well, in contrast to that imaginary uh, big bad wolf, uh, the Word of God, in many places, including Second Peter 2, warns us about very real spiritual big bad wolves. False teachers who were active in Peter's day, Kylian, first century, still continue to be active today in the 21st century. Uh, they're not just fairy tales. They're not figments of imagination like the big bad wolf and the fairy tale story. Uh, but they pose a real threat to the spiritual vitality of believers in local churches, including all of us individually and all of us together. So with that cheery introduction, let's uh, pray for teachability to God's word today and for those who protect and serve, as is our custom. So Steve uh, Skinner, pray for us, okay? Thank you, Steve. Let's warm up our capacity for abstract thought. Top five signs you might be attending a bad university. I know uh, Clay is in the midst of figuring out where he wants to go to school. I think I know where you want to go, and I, and I hope you hope you get there. You know, uh, but uh, Cameron University is not a bad alternative. Just say no. Uh, this would be indicators. I'm not going to waste your time with all the many indicators. Here's just top five of them. Uh, the campus is is in South Carolina, but the dorms are in South Dakota. That's a bad that's a bad university. Not necessarily funny or anything like that, but just it'd be a bad university because it's a long drive. You know, um, I'm not going to explain them to you. Uh, <laughs> rather than paying big time coaches millions of dollars, they pay small time speech teachers hundreds of dollars. <laughs> Grades are not based on how many hours you study per semester, but how many times you wash your professor's car per semester. That's my kind of school. They only hire adjunct instructors. I guess we only have four signs, sorry. Uh, who are quirky and who enjoy scaring really small children. <laughs> That's me and Cooper many years ago. Uh, the message of Second Peter is that a Christ-centered hope in your life as a believer should motivate you and me with my Christ-centered hope to embrace a lifestyle of true holiness wholeness in submitting to the lordship of Christ and to avoid the heresies, that's what we're focusing on in chapter 2, doctrinally and morally of false teachers, and they're always going to be out there. The structure of the book is kind of like uh, a three-story building with an arch over it. Uh, the uh, key to the book is hanging at the back door. That's that passage we've been reading for uh, Call to Worship uh, since we started the book. Uh, hang in there. Keep uh, demonstrating your faith 
and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he talks about holiness, chapter 1, heresy, we begin today in chapter 2, and then hope in chapter 3. And we have these incredible 3D visual aids. And so uh, let's use these real quick just to reinforce the three chapters and their content. And I think uh, Abby Bartling, where's she? Abby, she's got up and went... I promised her she was going to do this, and she said she didn't mind, and she left. So maybe she, maybe she minded. Uh, okay, who's, you know, we've been using youth group members, but, uh, maybe we'll go to some adults today. Ron, I want you up here just because you're the obvious guy in the middle, because you're the taller, probably the tallest one. And then, uh, Murray, have you done this before? Have you been up here? Come, would you mind coming up? And, uh, I don't know. We need a female here. Um, Peg's got all her stuff on her lap. Uh, so, I mean, I just—it just like it's going to be a, a hassle for you to get up. Uh, okay, yeah. Uh, come on up. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, the word. Everybody knows now you're pregnant, Julie, right? So that's that's good. And we, and we got a girl coming. Is that incredible? Round of applause. Yeah. Okay. Don't let them, don't let them see it yet. I know that some of them have seen it, but yeah. So we're going to say we've got hope, which hope is not hoping something good will happen in the future. It's looking forward to something God has promised. Is this flat going to happen in the future? Which he's just, he's going to have permitted evil, defeated evil, quarantined evil, and created a whole new universe where we don't have brain tumors and pornography or abortion or. Uh, bad weather keeping us from having prayer meetings and stuff like that, you know. So it's going to be it's going to be beautiful. Uh, that's chapter one. Chapter two is heresy. Heresy is teaching false doctrine to make money and make yourself look important and special and to deny the essentials of the Christian faith. And uh, I, I hope is what we started with. That's uh, Julie. And then heresy and then holiness is uh, being separated from our own selfishness under the lordship of Christ. So turn yours over there, Murray. Chapter 1 is holiness. And the idea is we've got holes in this board, right? But when you're walking with the Lord, you look like that, right? Good job, Murray. <laughs> Chapter 2 is what? Harry C. I mean, heresy. That's a Harry C, right? Nice job. And then that's, keep it showing. I don't want to forget that, Ron. Okay. Hey, you doing all right on that? Hey, you know what? I'm not worried. I got a lawyer. I'm a, I'm fine. Okay, and then chapter three, what have we got? Yeah, hope. And you know, our our hope for the future is based on the fact that the promises about the first coming of Christ, in some cases, took two thousand years to fulfill, were fulfilled literally, right? So we believe with with reason to believe that the prophecies about the end times will be filled, fulfilled literally by the Lamb now coming as a lion and ending human history in God's terms. So we got holiness, heresy, and hope. They did a great job on that. Couldn't have done better. Now, Julie, don't we practiced yesterday for like three hours, didn't we? Yeah. So you know, you, it didn't it didn't work that smoothly unless you practice. Just so you know. We're going to look at verses. Uh, 1 through 3 of chapter 2. But if you look on your notes there, uh, it's interesting when you look at the structure of this book, Holiness, Heresy, and Hope, to plug those big ideas into what he already told us in 1 Peter. 
So chapter one is about holiness. Let's call that spiritual offense. Okay. And look at first Peter chapter one twenty two. First Peter is the first inspired letter the apostle Peter wrote that was not just inspired, but has been preserved providentially and now translated into English so we can read it. So it's a wonder your fingers don't spark when you touch the pages, literally. But look at First Peter 1, thinking about holiness. How do you fuel holiness? Got to be in the Word, folks. Since you have in obedience to the truth of the gospel, purified your souls for sincere love of the brethren, go do it. And that means you don't always get your way in church and everybody doesn't smile at you the right way, but love them anyway. It's, it's, it's a good thing. It burns a toughness groove in your soul, makes you stronger. For you have been born again, not of seed, which is perishable. So it's not a physical birth, but imperishable. It's a spiritual eternal birth that is through the living and enduring word of God for all flesh. All the physical is temporary. It's glorious like the flower of grass. Even gold medals can tarnish. All those softball trophies we won are up in that attic and nobody cares, you know, but it seems so important at the time. Uh, and uh, it's glory like the flower of the grass. The grass withers, the flower falls off, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Cadillacs all end up in junkyards. And this is the word which was preached to you. Therefore, since you are born again and you're supposed to love each other, be fueled and be characterized by putting away all this pettiness and malice and deceit. And, you know, the reason often isn't the reason. It's just the least embarrassing excuse. Deal with the real reason and move on. Stop being hypocrites. Stop envying one another. Stop slandering one another. But like newborn babes, like Wrigley. This is Wrigley's first day at church, by the way. And I'm kind of uh, partial to seven previous babies, but man, Wrigley's... Looks like the perfect baby. I mean, looks like the Gerber baby. He's much better than the Gerber baby. I mean, plus his name's Wrigley. So when you name, that's even better. I mean, it's not like Sam or Joe. It's Wrigley. It's an incredible name. Um, like newborn babes long for the pure milk of the word when you're in it, when you're under it. So you may grow spiritually. You may become more whole in your submission to the Lordship of Christ since that's uh, first class in the, in the Greek, if and it's true, since you have tasted the Kindness of the Lord in salvation. Chapter 2 is about heresy. What are we supposed to do about heresy? Chapter 2, Second Peter tells us in some detail, but look what he's already told us. Look at uh, 1 Peter 3.14. 1 Peter 3.14, he's already talked about these topics. He's just going over with a second coat. Uh, but even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, and you will, especially in our culture, you're blessed. Somebody actually noticed you're different. So don't fear their intimidation, don't be troubled, but keep on sanctifying Christ as Lord in your hearts, present active imperative, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that's in you, yet with gentleness and reverence, that's the hard part for me, I'm not always gentle and reverent, and keep a good conscience, don't be a hypocrite saying one thing and doing the other, so in the thing in which you're slandered, your Christian faith, those who revile your good behavior, being a Christian actually makes you a better teacher, a better student, a better employee, a better citizen, a better neighbor, will be put to shame. So holiness, spiritual offense, um, heresy, spiritual defense. Be ready to give an answer. And uh, don't be surprised by the rise of the teaching of false teachers. And now let's look at special spiritual special teams. And I know, Dustin, you're a football uh, player and fanatic, so that probably makes sense to you. Offense, defense, special teams. Look at First uh, Peter 4, 7. Talking about looking forward to the future. 
to motivate us to do the right thing now. First Peter 4, 7 already told us that. The end of all things is near. The church age hangs on the precipice of like the uh, Niagara Falls. And as soon as the rapture happens, which is imminent, the whole world goes into the abyss of the tribulation and the church is taken out. That could happen before this message is over, even though it shouldn't be an overly long message, but it could be. You never know. Uh, the end of all things is at hand. It's imminent. Therefore, be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer, being focused on the right things. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another. Don't stop uh, stimulating to each other to love and good works and hanging in there, even though you're not always going to get your way at the local church. I've been the pastor here almost 30 years. I don't get my way on everything. Why do you think it's my job to make sure you get your way on everything? It's not my job. I'm not the cruise director on the good ship lollipop. I practice that, so it's pretty good. I like that. Uh, it's, it's more special than that. Be hospital to one another without complaint. Right. All right. I think that's pretty interesting the way First Peter kind of ties into Second Peter. No big surprise there. But uh, here's what we're going to see this morning. Uh, we've got bad news and good news about big bad wolves, big bad spiritual wolves. Not fairy tales, but very real realities. And let's look at the first part of that. We've got four aspects of the bad news. Unfortunately, uh, big bad wolves have always attempted to influence real believers. They've always been around. This is not a new thing in the church age. But false prophets also arose among the people of the Old Testament, just as there'll also be false prophets, false teachers among you, first century through the 21st century, who will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying who and what Jesus is and claiming to be Christians, which they do it all the time, uh, who uh, bought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. Wow. Uh, a lot we could say there. That word for secretly could be translated by stealth. You've heard of the stealth uh, jet plane, the fighter plane, and the B-1 bomber is a stealth uh, uh, airplane because radar doesn't pick it up, at least hopefully. They keep improving the radars. Uh, by stealth, uh, the para, parallel lines, is part of the prefix on that word in the Greek. So it typically means to bring something alongside... Uh, that seems similar to, but really is different. And that can also be translated, according to Moulton and Milligan in the papyri, to smuggle. And these people never take major doctrines, you know, face on. They kind of slowly denigrate a major doctrine uh, until they get to the final conclusion, and then they end up... Uh, the deity of Christ, that's a no-brainer. Jesus is the second person of the Trinity. He's the God-man Savior. He didn't come to show the way. That's why James changed the lyrics. He came to what? Be the way. I am the way. That's, a, that's significant because all the major re- religious leaders, as Murray is learning, like uh, Krishna, <laughs> like Buddha, they all claim uh, to show the way. I mean, everybody's claiming to show the way, including Peter Frampton, if you go back, you know, if you go that far back, maybe you shouldn't. Have you seen Peter lately? Man, he's old, man. It's unbelievable. But uh, Jesus didn't come to show the way. He came to be the way, right? And uh, But on that doctrine, he's got to be the God-man Savior to be the God-man Savior. He can't be the God-like person who showed us what it's like to be a virtuous martyr person. Uh, this is not going to fly. And yet people who deny the substitutionary atoning sacrifice of Christ will talk to a group like this in terminology they know is ambiguous, and they know you won't know what they really mean by what they're saying. So... 
Stealth is a really good way to describe the way many of those people operate. Uh, even to the point of denying the master who bought them, bringing swift destruction uh, upon themselves, immediate destruction from anybody with any biblical moxie. Uh, notice it doesn't say who claimed uh, they, uh, the master they claimed to believe in. This is somebody who's going to be somebody who is a de- definitely an unbeliever. They're denying the master uh, who bought them. Uh, this is somebody who is not a believer who's gone bad. These are unbelievers from the get-go, kind of like Judas was never a believer. And yet it says he bought them. It didn't say they claimed to have bought them or hypothetically could have bought them. Uh, Christians debate about exactly how that works. Uh, I like what Ryrie says in his footnote here, denying the master who bought them, the extent of their uh, heresy. Uh, the price for the sins of all men, including those false teachers, was paid by the death of Christ. Uh, though no man, no person can have benefit of this forgiveness except through faith in the Savior. And this does seem, if I can buzz through that again, seem to be something that's taught in Scripture. Second uh, Peter says these false prophets, which in context are clearly unbelievers, were at some level bought by the death of Christ, although it's not active for them. I like what Hebrews 2.9 says. I can do that again for you. Yeah. It takes a long time to do that. No, it's really very easy. Uh, but we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, looked like a man, didn't look like the God-man on that cross, crowned with glory and honor since the resurrection and the ascension, that by the grace of God he should taste death for every man, every person. Uh, you know, First John, I meant to have First John up there. He's the propitiation for our sins and not ours only, but those of the whole world. And John 3.16 comes to mind. you got to read 17 and 18, too, I think. Uh, For God the Father loved the world so much that he gave his only begotten son. Uh, it's monogenes, not monogenitos. It doesn't mean only begotten. It means only one of his kind, unique, his unique son. And whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. I'm highlighting world there because in the Gospel of John, the world is a bad, evil place made up of people who reject the gospel, which is why Jesus says he's in the world, but he's not. And he tells them, the believers, after Judas leaves in the upper room, you're in the world, but you're not of the world. So I know it's possible, so it means the world, the elect, but God so loved the world, the elect, that he gave his only begotten son for the world, the elect, that whosoever of the world, the elect, believed in him, well, everybody in the world, the elect, believes in him. Whosoever means a smaller percentage of a larger set. So I think that's that's hard to get around. But anyway, however that's interpreted, and I take it that these are unbelievers who uh, uh, are part of the uh, plan of God at some level, and that the death of Christ, although not efficient for them, was certainly sufficient for them. They actually deny who he is and what he did, just straight up, even though they do it in stealth, and they avoid frontal assaults until it's too late for the congregation, the domination, or the group to do anything about it. Bringing swift destruction, swift as takos is that thing will be sudden, just like the rapture sudden when it kicks in. Uh, they won't. Now, nowadays, Thomas Jefferson said, Thomas Jefferson, the father of American political liberalism, said that uh, when a capital uh, criminal is found guilty, he should be executed within three days unless the third day is on a Sunday. And this is almost a verbatim quote. And then because some of the execution squad might want to attend services, 
And they weren't talking about going to a mosque. They go on Fridays. We weren't talking about Jews. They go on Saturdays. Thomas Jefferson said, within three days after the conviction, the justice delayed, justice denied, right? Somebody is molesting children. They've been found guilty of capital crime. They're going to, they've been found guilty on a Tuesday. They should be executed by Friday. Now, if they're executed on what, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, since that makes the execution day Sunday, Jefferson said, because some of the execution squad might want to attend services. They weren't talking about going to a mosque. They're talking about going to a church. Then and only then you can wait four days. That was his opinion. Okay. Isn't that something? So that's, that's swift judgment. Uh, there's not going to, but nowadays what happens? You know, and I realize sometimes we have convicted people that are not guilty of the crime. I'm so cynical in my old age. I know those cats probably did other things just as bad. They're not even charging them with. Okay. I've been in there. I've talked to some of those people over there, you know, uh, but, uh, sometime when I have more time, I'll tell you about the first time I got to speak at the Dallas rescue mission in downtown Dallas. And that was a trip, man, as a Dallas seminary guy wearing a suit. I looked like Murray walking in there and I was the only guy with a suit, including the staff. Trust me. That was a lot of fun. But anyway, my point is nowadays progress, you know, if somebody is found guilty, they have DNA evidence. They convict them. They have an automatic appeal, and that takes years, and it costs a lot of money in the legal system. And then they, you know, they won't execute them for five or ten or twenty years, and it just seems like it so dis- disconnects the penalty from the offense. There's no way that affects people's minds, you know, as they're trying. Should I kill this little girl or keep her alive? If I kill her, I've got a, you know, hundred percent, ninety-nine percent chance of not being caught. Suppose I keep her alive, I'm almost fifty-fifty to get caught. They're just not going to do it. There's not going to be that kind of thing. Once the justice bar of God starts, it's going to be sudden. There's not going to be multiple appeals and all these kind of technicalities. They're talking about false prophets, false teachers. Who said this? I guess I gave it away. Watch out for false prophets. They will come to you. They will. They come to you. They're going to come. So be ready. In sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. We're thinking about big bad wolves. Who said that? Yeah, the Lord Jesus. Uh, who said this? I know that after I leave Ephesus, uh, savage wolves, big bad spiritual wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, uh, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. We're not supposed to make disciples of Brad. We're supposed to make disciples of Jesus. You're supposed to be one and influence other people to be disciples of Jesus. Andrew's not supposed to make disciples of Andrew. I know a lot of the kids on the swim team get a lot of benefit from Andrew's character and swim instruction and, uh, you know, kind of the way he does his thing. And they may look back 20 years from now and say, Coach Andrew had a huge impact on my spiritual life. But they're not supposed to be disciples of Andrew Bowers or Billy Graham. Why would it be a bad idea to be a disciple of Billy Graham? He's gone, man. <laughs> you know, uh, he's in heaven, but uh, disciples of Jesus we're looking for. Uh, that's Paul saying that. Who said this? If a prophet or one who foretells by dreams appears to you and announces a sign or a wonder to you, and the sign and the wonder happens, okay? This is not somebody claiming to have powers. He's got power. Listen, not everything that's supernatural is from God. Americans don't don't know that. Anything that's supernatural appears to be supernatural, even if it's sleight of hand, Peter Popoff, or even if it's really spiritual, it could be demonic, you know? If a prophet or one who foretells by dreams uh, appears to you, announces you a sign or a wonder, and the sign or the wonder spoken takes place, they actually predict something and it happens, 
But then the prophet says, let us follow other gods. Jesus isn't the way. He just showed the way, you know, like Buddha did. Uh, worship other gods. You must not listen to the words of that prophet or dreamer. Who said that? That's Moses, Deuteronomy 18, same kind of thing, but more of it. Okay, so uh, bottom line on this first bit of bad news about false teachers, false prophets, uh, they've always been around and uh, they're always a threat. They're, they're just, uh, they don't go away. And mass communication only makes this much worse, Lori, because this is basically, this allows me, and I'm only going to use the force for good, okay? That's me, okay? But I'm not sure I trust the rest of you people. I mean, this is like, you can communicate all over the world with this thing, audio, visual, data, all kinds of stuff, and it's, it's all over the place. I mean, heresy is everywhere. You can get it 24-7 uh, just with your phone, much less uh, everything else that's out there. So, yeah, that's the point. They're a threat and always have been. Let's go to the second one, second bit of bad news. Big bad spiritual wolves can be embraced, or at least can be, uh, real believers can be influenced by what they're selling or what they're teaching. You notice in uh, the first part of verse 2, many will follow their sensuality. That word there in the Greek means unbridled living. It's not necessarily sexual, although quite often it involves that kind of thing. But they will justify anything these leaders want to justify, and they typically do have some kind of big, uh, horrible thing in their moral life somewhere. They usually, they often go through a lot of different wives. I can think of one guy, I won't mention his name, who actually a lot of what he teaches is good stuff. I wouldn't quite put him in this category, but he's only been married like six times, you know, and it's always her fault. Uh, and you know what? I'm not, I'm not sure that happens six times in a row. I mean, I, I believe in in the, the law of large numbers, but that's, that's a pretty large number. But yeah, uh, big bad wolves can be embraced by real believers or influenced, uh, real believers can be influenced by them. It says many, not just a few, millions, not just four or five, you know, in, in Marlowe somewhere, uh, can be, will follow their sensuality, which again just means justifying anything. It's unbridled living. It's living that kind of sees the norms of scripture as optional, you know, the Ten Commandments become the seven suggestions kind of thing. Uh, one commentator says, No self-appointed minister, however trivial or unbiblical, who feeds the emotions and the carnal appetites of people will ever lack followers. And that's, that's the way it does tend to work, you know. Now, I know some of you are wanting, wanting me to name names. I was going to do that. This is just a partial list. David Koresh, Peter Popoff, Charles Murray, Jim Jones, Warren Jeffs, Joseph Smith, Charles Taze Russell, Gwen Shamblin, Robert Tilton, Reverend Ike, Marjo Gortner, the White Identity Movement, Elijah Muhammad, Louis Farrakhan, David, better known as Moses Berg, and the whole hierarchy of Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons would fall under these categories. All kind, They're all over the place morally and theologically, but they're all there. Uh, but yeah, no self-appointed minister, however trivial or unbiblical, who feeds the emotions and carnal appetites of people will lack followers. Uh, Mormonism goes back to Joseph Smith supposedly being so pure in his approach to Christianity, he couldn't decide which one of the churches to go to in upstate New York, near, near Palmyra, New York. Presbyterians, Methodists, Baptists, couldn't decide which one to go to. He was looking for buried treasure and praying for insight, and God told him, don't go to any of those churches. They're all an abomination. They're all bad. Okay, I'll show you what you need to know. 
And he showed him these golden plates. Nobody but him saw in the special kind of spiritual hieroglyphics. And he translated that, and that's the Book of Mormon. So it goes on from there. I'm not saying Mormons are necessarily as bad uh, at, at one level as the white identity movement is, but um, it's it's all it's all bad. It's all bad. Uh, you got to do the right thing the right way, and these folks invariably have all kinds of loopholes. Now, talking about the right thing the right way, uh, what do you think that is, Dustin? Based on communication, level thirteen. This is what we call a speaking outline. It's called a note card. I've been I've been asked uh, by Ron Boyd to deliver some remarks today at the uh, closing of Black History Month at Antioch Baptist Church. This today, three thirty at Antioch Baptist Church. Come come listen. I'm not the main speaker, and it's gonna they're gonna be really excited for several hours. It's gonna be a lot of singing, a lot of sharing, a lot of preaching. But I'm gonna speak for several minutes, and this is all I've got. But I found this amazing quote from Martin Luther King. And at least the way he approached his his work was a good example of doing the right thing the right way. Here's a quote uh, from a, a presentation he made in Memphis the night before he was shot. Now, a lot of people forget he was a Christian, a pastor, and a Baptist. So among other things from Martin Luther King, you need to be nice to your pastor, especially if he's Baptist. Okay? But anyway, this is a direct quote. Watch this. Uh, and he's not a perfect man. I don't agree with everything he said, but watch this. Do you hear this kind of statements anymore? He says, uh, there's a direct quote. We don't have to argue with anybody. We don't have to argue. We don't have to get mad. Uh, we don't have to curse and go around acting bad with our words. We don't need to, we don't need any bricks or bottles. We don't need Molotov cocktails, you know, where they blow up. We just need to go around to these stores, these massive industries, and say, God sent us here to say to you, you're not treating his children right. And we've come here to ask you to make the first item on your agenda fair treatment where God's children are concerned. Does that sound like the rhetoric you hear today in that area at all? And if you quoted that to some of those people, they would probably be very angry at you. You better tell them who you're quoting. Right? It's, re- it's remarkable. But trust me, some of these folks that claim to have unique insights into, God, into God's truth and are actually sending you in the wrong direction will have big blind spots either morally or ethically in some, some way. Uh, the third bit of bad news about big bad spiritual wolves is they harm the credibility of real believers, RB is real believers in biblical Christianity. That is, it says in verse middle of verse 2, because of them and their influence, the way of the truth, Christianity, and real Christians will be maligned. Now that word for maligned is the word we get blasphemy from in the Greek. But it just means to be treated with contempt. Okay? Uh, Give you an example. Uh, I think Gene will remember, Gene Shallot will remember this. the, the, the year we went to Puebla and they moved from the apartment to the church building, but all we had was a tarp over it. That's where we did the church for a couple of years. Uh, we had a lady in the church called Maria, a Mexican lady called Maria, and she was a new believer and she seemed to have a dynamic testimony and she helped us lead a lot of people to Christ that campaign. And the next year we show up and I said, where's Maria? And uh, they said, Mormones. She's gone with the Mormones. She's gone with the Mormons, you know. And 
as a result of, I mean, she had this uh, uh, very uh, emotional conversion, and she went home, and her whole family, extended family, kicked her out of her home, and Tomas and Carmen were helping her with living arrangements because of her faith in Christ. And a year later, uh, because I think they had more social support for her, she ends up with the Mormons. And, you know, this really caused the way of the truth, I mean, real biblical Christianity, to be treated with contempt by Maria's extended family because they saw Mormons, Mormonism and evangelical Christianity as basically two versions of the same thing. And first she went crazy about Jesus, now she's crazy about Jesus and Joseph Smith and, and the whole thing with the Mormon church. And so it only makes it worse. It's one thing when you're being rejected for the right reasons, but when you're being rejected for wrong reasons and people who's in the world see that as Christianity is valid, it just makes it more confusing for them. So big bad spiritual wars make real Christians and real Christianity look bad. And uh, uh, I think that's another real significant bad thing about big bad wolves. And then finally, in the first part of verse 3, big bad wolves have always been around, always attempted to harm the dynamics of real spiritual, uh, real biblical Christians, uh, can be embraced or at least influenced by real Christians, can harm the credibility of real uh, believers in biblical Christianity. Watch this. Big bad spiritual wolves have been and continue to be supported financially by very naive, often well-intended, but doctrinally unsound, real believers. You hear stories of little old ladies who can't get out much anymore and they watch television and they support some of these crazy ministries way out there, send their social security checks. I'm thinking of Jim Baker at his worst. I think, I don't know Jim Baker personally, uh, uh, so I have limited data. Uh, he's pretty bizarre still, but I did read his book, uh, uh, his uh, book he wrote after he kind of got out of prison, <laughs> you know, the story. <laughs> And he said it like he genuinely repented and got back spiritually and he gave a pretty clear testimony. So I don't know where it's coming from spiritually. So he may not be totally in this category. But you did hear when the, uh, the uh, what was it called, the PTL club that he founded and stuff, when it t- totally tanked, all these little old ladies who had very, very sincerely been sending him money, you know, were kind of, had been just totally, uh, 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 what do you call it, scammed, you might say. But watch this. People never connect these dots. Remember Jesus... Uh, sees, uh, is watching the people put their money in the offering box at the temple. Remember? Now what's the, the whole hierarchy running the temple in Jesus' day? Were, were the, the Sadducees running the temple precincts, were they really pure, born again believers in the coming Messiah and happy to know Jesus was on the ground? What, did, what was their approach toward Jesus? What did they say about Jesus? How'd they explain him away? Satanically possessed false prophet. And while he's watching People put money in the box. They're plotting his lynching. They're going to make sure Jesus is killed during this Passover season. And he's seeing all this. And you know the, you know the story. The Pharisees and the Sadducees would kind of, they're going to give a hundred dollars. They go to the bank and convert into pennies so they could pour all their pennies into the metal offering container. So it'd make a lot of noise and everybody would be impressed by how much they were giving, right? And so, and the disciples were impressed too. They're watching this too. And then the little lady puts her two mites in, less than two cents. And what does Jesus say? She gave more than anybody. Now, and, and you say, well, it's, it's your heart, and it's, that's what's important. It's not the total amount. I get that. We believe that here. God provides for us here, and we believe that. 
But watch this. You know what? what? What I'm amazed is, is that he didn't walk up there and say, don't you put that money in that box. Give it to me. I'm the Messiah. This whole thing is a song and dance show. These people are totally corrupt. They're running this beautiful, you know, outward system that's pointing to me, and they've totally ignored me. You know? Isn't it amazing to do that? That's all she knows. I think she's a little old lady, probably like me, doesn't see very well, doesn't hear very well anymore, and she's a believer that the Messiah is coming, probably hasn't even heard about Jesus, but she's an Old Testament believer, puts that money in the box, because that's all she knows, that's all she sees. I'm convinced those little old ladies who sent those checks to the PTL club, you know, many of them were born again, giving to what they sincerely thought was a legitimate thing, God will has, honors them for that. They'll be rewarded for that. I really believe that because Jesus commends the lady giving to the system that's about to lynch him. Because that's all she's doing is what she can do. Isn't that interesting? You ever thought about it from that slant? Chew on that. It's really, really pretty interesting. But yeah, in their greed, they'll exploit you with false words. Uh, they'll exploit you. That's all y'all. Hey men, not human, but hey men, that's the plural. Uh, talking about Peter's readers. Uh, real believers have supported this. Now watch, in their greed, that's the, that's the strong word in, in Greek. Sounds like I'm speaking more, uh, strongly than I was before. I guess I'm really becoming more convicted or something to myself because it sounds lighter, but it's, it's, it's all good. But this is the real strong word for, for greed in the Greek. It means uncontrolled greed. It's about money. And of course we know money is the root of all evil, right? Money's not the root of all evil. It's the love of money. That's the root of all evil. If you're motivated by love of money, you can do anything. You're capable of doing anything. But uh, many of these folks get into the religion business because they can make money, or they think they can make money. And the end is to make money, so by any means necessary, they'll make money. Now watch this. They'll exploit you. Now James, that sounds pretty general. They'll exploit you. But the Greek text has the word to travel as a merchant. In their uncontrolled greed, desire to make money, they will travel as a merchant. The purpose of their ministry is to make money. Okay, I hate it when people in ministry refer to any ministry as a job. It's not just a job. It has vocational aspects. And twice a month, we, me and James, appreciate one vocational aspect. We get we get checks, and that's fine. Uh, I mean. I've got four, seven grandchildren to take care of. All, all my excess money goes to feed underprivileged children. Vivian, Lincoln, <laughs> Cooper, right? Um, so yeah, baby needs a pair of shoes, you know that. But, uh, yeah, I hate it when people refer to a pastoral position or something as a job. It's not just a job. You can get a job at Walmart. It's got vocational aspects, but it's, it's much bigger than a job in my opinion. But this word doesn't mean to exploit generically. It means to travel as a merchant to make money. That's what that's why they're in this business to make money. It's unbelievable. Uh, you know, we're going to, Lord willing, go to Israel next May. You can go with more famous Christian people than me and maybe get more information or better information or more entertainment. But most of those people get like three to five hundred dollars a head for everybody goes on the trip. You know how much I get per head for everybody goes on the trip. Zero. I don't want to make money off the trip. I'm not going to Israel in next May to make money. I'm going so that you and I can experience what the Holy Land gives you. It's the fifth gospel. It will turn your Bible reading, Murray, from black and white to color. 
when you've been on the Sea of Galilee, when you've been on the Temple Mount, you've been on the southern steps of the Temple, uh, you've been on the slopes of Galilee, you've been to Capernaum. Uh, it's, it's incredible, man. It's, it's nothing like it. But yeah, so this this word is very specific about traveling. And you know what? People like this either aren't pastors or they aren't pastors at any one place for very long because it's just not worth the headaches. <laughs> I mean, just the headaches of being a pastor. You can find a job that makes as much money as that for much less headaches, really, in many cases. Uh, these people tend to be on the road a lot. They can pretend like a Christian Friday through Sunday afternoon. Then on the way home, they'll probably stop a few places most Christians wouldn't go. And then they can kind of be what they really are at home. And usually the wife or something, the sixth wife, you know, kind of puts up with it because he's bringing home so much money. But it gets pretty grisly. Okay, that's the bad news. Here's the good news. Oh, man. How about that? That was awesome there. Uh, here's the good news. Let's leave it there. Look at the last part of verse 3. You always have to have some good news. And this kind of lines up with uh, swift destruction. Once it comes in God's timetable, boom, it's going to happen with no 10, 15, 20 years appeals. Uh, their judgment from long ago is not idle. Uh, it's all part of the plan to permit this and then put it out of business t- uh, permanently. And their destruction is not asleep. God's not asleep at the wheel. So uh, their punishment uh, is is planned. It's right on schedule. They're accountable to God. They'll be put out of business by Christ himself. This kind of reminds me of what uh, is described in Psalm 73. Go to Psalm 73, verse 12 real quick, and we're almost done. Uh, I love Psalm 73. Psalm 73 is this, uh, it's like Job on steroids because you've got this uh, writer Asaph who's mad at God, not just because bad things happen to good people like him, but because so many good things seem to happen to bad people. So he's really upset about it and he doesn't understand it because he's just putting it in a small context and he forgets he's not factoring in many of the relevant factors. But look what happens here at the end of this as he kind of concludes and moves on. Psalm 73, verse 12. Behold, these are the wicked. He describes, over-describes how good they've got it. But often it is true. They're always at ease. They're always making lots of money. So surely in vain, from a pragmatic, worldly center uh, point of view, I've kept my heart pure because I don't have all the creature comforts that Hugh Hefner had, whatever. Uh, wash my hands in innocent. For I've been stricken all day long. Not, my life's nothing but problems. I've got all kinds of problems. And then he said, you know, if I said to myself, I said to myself, I'm, I'm going to say that. I'm going to go to synagogue and tell everybody it's a waste of time to do the right thing because bad people get it good and good people get it bad. He said, I, I knew I would have been betraying. I would have been beyond the generation and the truth of scriptures taught uh, through the generation of the people of Israel. But when I pondered understand how this all worked, it was troublesome in my sight until... I factored in eternity until I went to the sanctuary of God and perceived their end, the people he was envying, the false teachers, the uh, the uh, immoral drug dealer who lives in four mansions. I was actually envying them, and I realized their end. They're one heartbeat away from the judgment bar of God. And he says, surely you set them in slippery places, God, and then you cast them down to destruction. How they are destroyed in a moment. At that last heartbeat, boom, right before the justice bar of God. And utterly swept away by sudden terrors. Like a dream when one awakes, O Lord, when aroused, you'll despise their form. And they're going to realize they've been living a nightmare. 
And then he says, and this is what, where all the good stuff is. He says, looking back on his whole existential crisis he had, the, the author of the psalm says, when my heart was embittered toward God, because I couldn't add it all up, and when I was pierced within, I was like a dumb animal. I was senseless and ignorant like a beast before you. Nevertheless, I'm continually with you because you've taken hold of my hand. Not, it's not us holding on to him. It's him holding on to us. That's the way it works. And then he says, hey, I got it great. With your counsel, you're going to guide me now. No matter what bad things happen to happen, I'm going to, always going to have your counsel to live in life. And afterward, receive me to glory. I'm not going to be looking at sudden terrors. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, right? Then he says, come think of it. Who have I in heaven but you? And ultimately, in, in reality, besides you, I desire and need nothing here on earth. My flesh and my heart will fail. That's one of those Bible verses, Lendl, nobody wants to claim. My flesh and my heart will fail. When you're 25, you don't think you need to claim that. It's not going to happen to you. When you're sneaking up on 65, you realize, if it wasn't for those supplements, MSM you told me to take, David, I'd be in a world of hurt, man. Uh, my flesh and my heart will fail. That's It says may as justive as concessive. It really means will. It's going to happen if you live long enough. But God's the strength of my heart now, everything I need now, in my portion forever. I'm fine. Everything's fine. It's all good. Behold, those who are far from you perish. You've destroyed all those who are unfaithful to you, who don't trust in you, including all these false teachers he's talking about. But as for me, the nearness of God right now is my good. I've made the Lord God my refuge. And rather than questioning him like he did for the first half of the psalm, he says, my job is to tell of all your works. My job is not to second guess you, is to tell everybody how great you are. So, we started this morning with a word about the three pigs and the big bad wolf who was imaginary, right? Not real. Uh, but there are very real big bad wolves. I listed 20 of them there for you, but you can probably think of more. They're very real, and they are a threat. But as we close, let me just refer to a story, much more important story than the three pigs and the big bad wolf that Jesus teaches in uh, seven Matthew 7, 24 through 29, where he talks about the wise person builds their house on a rock, the rock of God's truth, uh, the Lordship of Christ, and uh, that will withstand whatever hits it in life. Uh, more good news. Believers with solid biblical convictions. That's not just Bible information, but real convictions. That's not gnosis. It's epinosis. It's not head. It's the heart. Uh, and holiness, comprehensive consistency, will avoid the spiritual shipwreck that can be caused by these false teachers. So let's have a word of prayer. Lord, uh, we're in a pretty biblically uh, intense environment here. We can take it for granted uh, and kind of go on a passive listening mode or just uh, assume that uh, uh, everybody of goodwill uh, that uh, claims to be a Christian is basically saying the same thing. And in fact, there are a lot of bad actors out there and the ones being taught here are the most virulent type. They're not, they're not believers. They may pretend to be. They may even claim to be. But they don't believe the essentials of the faith. They've not truly trusted Christ, nor have any desire really to please Him. They have their own agendas, and they'll say and do whatever they got to do to keep the money flowing. And I pray that even though it's possible for us to naively be uh, influenced by these types of people, these type of people, uh, give us the, the moxie and the discernment uh, to 
to be able to distinguish the counterfeit from the uh, the correct, from truth from error, and help us to realize even some of these fine points we pick out uh, from uh, in Scripture in a passage like Second Peter is part of the material we need to help us to do that. So give us give us biblical discernment as we seek to open our heart to your lordship and its fullness. Uh, that we might please and glorify you as believers in Jesus Christ. I pray for anyone here this morning who's not from the depth of their heart as the Holy Spirit opens their eyes to see and believe uh, that they might come to faith in Jesus Christ. Open their eyes to see that we've got sin and it's our fault and we're guilty and uh, judgment is coming and righteousness. We can't crank it out on our own. I pray the Holy Spirit would reinforce that. And that he'd open eyes to see and trust Jesus Christ alone for salvation. Even as the uh, terrorists on the cross, Jesus, remember me when you come in your kingdom. I'm a sinner. It's my fault. I can't fix it. You can, and I want you to. As many as received him to them, he gave the right to become children of God to those who believe on his name. But to the one who does not work but believes on him who justifies the ungodly. That person's faith is reckoned as righteousness. Is anyone here this morning who's not trusted Christ alone, not to be someone showing a way, but someone who is the way, the truth, and the life? Draw them to yourself. For the rest of us, realize that uh, it's a big, bad world out there, and there's a lot of big, bad wolves out there who appear as angels of light, who quite often generate a lot of money and have big crowds, and maybe have uh, big book deals, and maybe have big media ministries, and they're far away, so they're experts. Whenever they'll never meet us in person, so they're really impressive. But help us to realize that your truth is very clear on the main things, and give us a discernment to distinguish uh, the real uh, from the false. And I pray that that would strengthen us both individually, in our families, and our church. In Christ's name, we pray. Amen.